Hello, a few announcements for today as we, as we begin chapel. Covey Cup is indeed this weekend. If you don't know what Covey Cup is, it is a, a competition amongst the residence halls. It'll happen both Friday and Saturday. Uh, if you are a commuter student, you can also participate by going to the, the student um, development suite right outside of Sky and signing up for a team. Um, there's a ton of different activities. You won't have to compete in each one, but depending on your floor, your hall, you'll pick who competes in each of the activities. So come join us. It's going to be a really, it's a really fun night. Friday night, we're going to end Covey Cup with a movie on Reeves Field, uh, the classic Rudy. If you've never seen Rudy, it may be one of the best football movies of all time, and to watch it on the football field, it's just going to have this nostalgic fall air feel. So come out to, to Reeves Field Friday night and join us. Bring a blanket, because uh, it will be a little chilly uh, out there. Uh, one other thing to know about on Friday is that there's an off-campus study fair Friday during the day from 10 a.m. to 2. Uh, so if you're thinking about studying abroad, come. It's in front of the Student Center. You can learn about some opportunities that we have to, to go abroad. Uh, and that's something everybody should look into because it is amazing. Hey, I also just wanted to um, say thank you because we're doing really well with, with this whole COVID thing. And we need to do that as a community. And uh, I'm really thankful for what we've been doing as a community to take care of each other and to really make those steps together. But I just want to remind ourselves that, that this is going to take all semester. This isn't a, a quick thing that we can do. So let's stay diligent together in mask wearing and social distancing, in filling out your daily uh, form, health form every morning. Uh, let's do that together so that we can keep this place uh, as safe as possible, and we can be here. Because just like you, I want to be here all semester, and we can do that together. So thank you. Uh, we're going to launch chapel as we do every week with, with new song. Enjoy.
And good morning. Welcome to chapel. Um, as, as Titus has been talking about throughout the semester, he's reminded us that if we get God wrong, we get everything else wrong as well. And so far, we've been talking about how God is holy, but he's personal. How he's, he's present in time, but he's also a Trinitarian God that is three in, in one. And that he is good. And we're excited to continue to look at who God is today. And we ask that as, as we do that, that you come um, ready to open your heart, ready to open your ears to, to what is presented today. We're going we're gonna to begin with the Apostles' Creed. I ask that everybody stand up. And read responsibly with me. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Good morning. As we go before the Lord in prayer, I want to encourage you that if you have concerns um, or things that you would like us to pray for together, we are welcome to receive those. You can send them to me uh, by email or by a note in the mail or even just a, a approach me personally, and we'd be happy to pray for you. Um, but also, Lord, uh, we, just, we just ask that you would um, uh, think about other people that need prayer as well, and so that as I pray, um, you would be in prayer with me, that we would put our hearts together to pray about these things that we offer up, but also those things uh, that weigh upon our hearts. Use this opportunity to put them before the Lord so that he might give you peace. And so I want to pray this morning um, with Psalm 119 as my guide, and then remember that in the conclusion of the prayer, we will pray together the Lord's Prayer as he taught us to pray. So let's go before the Lord and pray. Lord, you are everything to us. And so we promise to obey your words. We want to see you with all of our hearts be gracious to us according to your promises. I look at what I do in my life and I have turned away from what you have asked me to do. And so now I quicken my steps. I, I want to obey your commands. And yet, Lord, we know that around us are people who try to tempt and ensnare us with things that are against your will. 
Help me not to forget your law. Even in the middle of the night, I give you thanks for the things that you have done. To all who also know your name, we want to show love and kindness and charity. And to all who follow you, Lord, we want to be with them. For this earth is filled with your love. Lord, teach me to see its glory, to see its majesty, and to how it can help me to be thankful in all that I do. Be good to us, Lord, because we are your servants, and because you have said that you will be good to us in your scriptures. Teach us what to know, and teach us how to make good judgments, for we believe in what you have told us to do. Before we knew you, Lord, we were wandering, going every which way, unsure of what to do. But when you taught us what to do, Lord, that is when we saw clearly the problems, the pride in our hearts. the lies that surround us, the temptations that assail us. Lord, help us to keep your word in our hearts. Let us not have callous hearts, unfeeling hearts, unsympathetic hearts, hearts that are cruel and unkind. Instead, Lord, through your teaching, the way that you are teaching us now to humble ourselves before you, to place us before you, place before you our faults and our concerns and our cares and the worries of the day, so that we might be able to learn from you, that when we say what we don't know, that when we tell you what we don't understand, that when we tell you the burdens and the concerns of our hearts, you will be able to teach us. What you have to say is more precious to us than gold or silver. Lord, guide us this day as we follow you. Be near us, be with us, as we look forward to the trouble that will come, help us to take confidence in your Son, Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, we offer this prayer to you together as your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
read from Matthew 23, verses 1 to 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. In Psalm 119, we have an amazing prayer regarding God's law and his word. So let's stand and read this prayer together. Would you stand? Let's read from Psalm 119 together with me. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Amen. You may be seated. Well, here we are at school, making our way through the semester, and obviously, this morning, we want to concentrate on the nature of God as our teacher. God reveals himself to us as a teacher, and we're going to spend some time thinking about that together this morning, but first, I'd like you to think about a favorite teacher story that you have. We're all experienced students here. And I want you to think about one of those teacher stories that's kind of tough. Not like fourth grade for me. Fourth grade for me, great teacher story. Mrs. Petler, I learned a a ton, but mostly I just was in love with her my whole fourth grade year. And she was a really good teacher, and she might have been tough, but I wouldn't have known it. I just loved 
going to Mrs. Petler's class, and everyone in elementary school was second rate compared to her. Third grade, not so much. Third grade, well, here's how it goes. I had to move in third grade. And I moved to Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania from Wheaton, Illinois. Now, Wheaton, Illinois was like Charlie Brown's neighborhood. I walked to school. I walked home for lunch. I walked back to school. I watched Bozo the Clown for lunch at lunchtime. There were no parents walking back and forth. It was an insanely safe, easy place to live. And it was a very, what C.S. Lewis would call a progressive school. Their, their methods were very advanced. So I don't know where my, com do I, I don't know if I have any calm disorders people here, but you're probably all sitting together, together. And even in the 1960s, I had a speech and language pathologist and I had to learn uh, third grade. I had a full frontal lisp and I had to go to the therapy every day and or at least once a week. And, and I had to learn how to talk correctly. Thank the Lord for speech and language pathologists. So I moved to Chippewa elementary school, first week, I'm sitting about um, two-thirds of the way back at the classroom, kind of in the middle of the classroom, and all of a sudden there's a buzz around me, and I'm just listening, and people are saying, Danny is going to get the wood. I knew who Danny was. The whole rest of that sentence made no sense to me. I was from a very advanced school where no one ever got paddled. And what I was to learn was that Danny got the wood almost every day. He and Mrs. Nepp had this thing going, and it was like a script, and she would call on him, and he'd answer, and she'd say he had attitude, and he'd roll his eyes. He's in third grade. He, he and Mrs. Nepp would go out in the hall. She would go get the principal. The principal would come down as a witness, and then we'd count while we heard him getting the wood. And the rest of us lived in terror all the time of the wood. Nobody wanted, Danny seemed to handle it really well. And he became one of the hardest hitting strong safeties in the WPIAL, but we'll, that's a story for another day. Now, here's the thing. I have a great story that goes like this. When I was in graduate school, you call your professors by their last names a lot of times when you're talking to each other. You don't do that in class. Maybe you do. But you don't do that in class. You're usually respectful and that kind of thing. But, we, but this person, this professor's name was Hauser. And if you had a Hauser class, you were, it was a serious, difficult class. He was an international scholar in classical rhetoric. And so we're, we come to class one day. And some of us were more experienced. But it, it really wasn't our turn to do presentations. And in this kind of class, there are 12 people, and you come in, and someone does a presentation on a book that you're reading. And these people came in, and, and they weren't prepared. So Hauser says, go ahead, do your presentation. And there's a little mumbling, and not much happens. It goes to the second person, do your presentation. There's a little mumbling. And those of us who are experienced are already starting to be very worried just because of the look on Hauser's face. 
And he summarily, 10 minutes into class, closed his book, closed his books. And he put them in his briefcase. And he stood up and said, I'll be back next week, and I hope you're prepared. And he walked out of class. We learned a lot. We stayed. And uh, the oldest members of the class taught the youngest members in the class how to be prepared for a Hauser class. He stayed the whole rest of the semester. We were glad he came back. Now, you have teacher stories like this. You know what it means to be taught. I don't have a lot to talk to you about that you don't already have a lot of categories for, but there's an important message for us about who God is today in reference to teaching. And the Matthew reading that we've already been through puts a tremendous amount of pressure on everyone else who's a teacher because you know the phrase. You heard it, I hope, in the reading. You need to practice what you preach. You need to practice what you preach. That's not like a homespun saying. That comes right out of the scriptures. It comes from the mouth of Jesus. Practice what you preach. High standard for all teachers. And then we get the message. Anyone who teaches who's a human being is a small, lowercase t, teacher. There's one teacher. There's one instructor, we heard, and that's Jesus Christ. And he creates burdens for us by telling us that we have to practice what we preach. And that's a simple message, but it's hard to do. And so I want you to listen to the one teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to test us this morning with his word. And I want you to listen for the test as we read the living word of God together. This is Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be reading verses 25 to 37 together this morning. Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. And I want you to hear this dialogue between Jesus and the lawyer who will be in conversation with him. Please listen to the dialogue. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed. 
leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. May God add his blessing to this reading and hearing of his own holy word. There are many ways that we can talk about this passage of Scripture. And in my lifetime, I've heard it preached on many, many times. And there are many ways in which uh, I feel incredibly inadequate to even talk with you about it. But I think that it's important for us to talk about a few things that are important to us in understanding who God is. And the first thing that I want you to notice about the text today is that it's a text that's full of tests. And the first test ostensibly comes from the lawyer. It says the lawyer is trying to test Jesus. He's trying to test Jesus. And we know that lawyers ask questions, are trained to, and they ask good ones. And so he asked this question. Now, in communication, there's a principle that we teach. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Whoever asks the questions controls the conversation. Whoever asks the questions controls the conversation. And I want you to watch Jesus behold and listen to him and look at what happens because the attorney asks a question and he's trying to test Jesus and trap him. And so he, he asks this question about which is the greatest commandment. And he's a teacher of the law, not just a lawyer. And then Jesus asks a question in return. And all of a sudden, the test changes. Who's testing who? And so Jesus says, how do you read it? How do you read it? Now, we have an LNT class. One of the comments that we got from, uh, from some students uh, a couple weeks ago was, hey, at Geneva, it seems like everyone is asking me to read things and respond to them. I wonder where that comes from. I wonder where that comes from. How do you read it? Right? Welcome to college, right? We expect you to be able to read good material and have your own thoughts, not to have us tell you what to think about it. How do you read it? 
It's an incredibly important question for good teachers to ask. How do you read the text? How do you read the situation? How do you read the problem that you're facing? How do you read it? Jesus asks good questions in relationship with human beings and expects us to give a response. And so the teacher of the law, the law responds, and he responds with what we would talk about as the two great commandments. Augustine calls this the twofold rule of love. Hear these commandments, love and love. Love the Lord, heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor. It's really important to notice that this good answer that the teacher of the law gives is a both and answer. You will see the twofold rule of love, the two great commandments, they reappear all over the scripture. They start in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. This isn't new material when Jesus is on the scene. It's old material. But it's a both-and proposition. And I want to warn you just for a minute about people who would, first of all, focus on just one. We're going to see this in the teacher of the law. Teacher of the law is going to want to make sure that there's plenty of attention to love the Lord your God, love the word of God, love all those kinds of things, and is going to want to, to make small the second commandment, second great commandment. There's also a temptation to invert the commandments, to say, if I love my neighbor, if I'm loving my neighbor, that counts for the first commandment too. No, it's a both and. We want to make sure that we're loving God with our whole hearts and that we're loving our neighbor as ourselves and recognizing that those are inextricably linked. And you will hear this and you can see it on the seal, pro Christo et patria, as we've said on many occasions, summarizes the two great commandments. First great commandment, pro Christo. Second great commandment, love your neighbor. We understand our country, whatever our country is, as the people with whom we live, the people with whom we're close, the people that we share time and space with and community with. And so, the teacher of the law gets the answer right. Jesus says, good answer. This is the textbook answer. This is the fill-in-the-blank answer. It's a good answer. Go and do it. And that gets us to the second question. I don't know exactly how to read this question. Maybe you do. I've heard people talk about this question as being asked kind of with an attitude, as a clever question. I'm not sure that that's the case. I've heard people say, the teacher of the law now feels the burden of the answer and wants to be seen as right. 
What we do know is we know something from the scripture of the heart of the question, and the heart of the question is one where the lawyer is, is asking in such a way that he can justify himself. We don't know the teacher of the law's heart, just like you don't know the heart of the person sitting next to you, and you can't know the heart, really, the heart of anyone else besides yourself. And even for ourselves, our own hearts are deep water, but Christ knows our hearts, and Christ knows where this question comes from. And he tells a story. This time he doesn't respond with a question. He tells a story. Now, you may be familiar with this story. You're certainly familiar with the reference to the Good Samaritan. And most of us are familiar with this story in one version or another. This story is so simple that a child can really understand it. This is why in our era, in my old guy era, we had, I saw the Good Samaritan on flannel graph many, many, many times. Okay, the, the, you know, you got this blue flannel thing and people put up, cut out paper on the flannel graph and people move, you know, that kind of thing. Or maybe you're familiar with VeggieTales. In another era, this is a VeggieTales favorite. Uh, VeggieTales that I have seen that if I start to see it, I have it memorized because I watched it with my kids so many times. Okay, and I'm not going to sing any of the songs. Who's my neighbor? But what I want you to think about more pertinently is I want you to notice how Jesus teaches because the Jericho Road is not a stranger to us. You know places that are dangerous. And it's so commonplace that most of us have had or will have this kind of experience. So I can ask you, who saved your life? Who has saved your life? When have you had an opportunity, whether you took it or not, to help someone who was in immediate trouble in your vicinity and you had to decide whether or not to help? I mean, this is common in human experience. It's happened to me on both sides a number of times, and being half dead is no fun, I can tell you. There was a Christian nurse the night I was in a head-on collision who, by God's grace, was coming from Allegheny General Hospital on Route 28 North, if you know Pittsburgh, and she saw, she was the first person that came by the scene of the accident I was in. And she stopped. And she got out of her car. And she walked across the road. She's a medical professional. And she opened the door, the only door that would open. And she saw my two roommates who were already gone. And she knew how to triage a scene. And when the first ambulance came, I was the only person they could get out of the car, and I was half dead. And she said, take this one to Allegheny General, the best trauma unit in the city of Pittsburgh at the time, which was just a few miles away. 
And she was the first person that saved my life when I was half dead. This is an ordinary human experience. We're not all in a car accident, but all of us have felt like we were about to die, and some of us were. And Jesus uses stories. How does he teach? He talks about things we can understand and relate to, and he drives them home in our lives. You're going to have an opportunity to make this choice. If you haven't already, you're going to have an opportunity to make a choice to help someone who you've never met before. What will be your standard of analysis? You know the story. The Pharisees have their mindset. They go by. The Levite goes by. They have their reasons. They keep going. And then Jesus asked the question that's the real test. He tells this story. And before we get to that question, I want you to think with me for a minute. How does the story answer the question? How does the story answer the question that goes, who is my neighbor? How does the story answer the question? Jesus is teaching us. And Jesus is teaching us about things that are at the very heart of who we are. Jesus will examine our hearts with his word. And it's not so simple as to say, oh, right? This is what we all say in Sunday school. Oh, well, of course I would have been the good Samaritan. It's not that simple. It's just not that simple. That's a moralistic kind of approach. We get the moral. We know what we're supposed to do. So Jesus presses the question, who is the one who's the neighbor? What are we saying if we agree with the teacher of the law who said it was the one who showed compassion? He doesn't say it was the Samaritan, by the way. He said it was the, the one who showed compassion. So here's a way I'd like you to think about the question. The question is not only will I love my neighbor. That's obvious. The question is, Are we putting ourselves in position to be loved by our Samaritan? Are we putting ourselves in a position 
to have a life that is characterized by compassion and mercy rather than by rules and by opinions and by positions. Will my life be characterized by litmus tests that I use on other people and so I discount them and I dismiss them and I pass by them? Or will my life be characterized in the doing and living of it by compassion and mercy? Will I be able to receive compassion and mercy and to be touched by my Samaritans? Because the one who is keeping the law, the person who is in Christ, is a Samaritan to the lawyer. Now let me just mention for a minute what this means in terms of categories. Because you can miss it by historicizing it. It's important to historicize it. It's important to say, well, who were the Samaritans? And I'm going to tell you a little bit about that, although there are people on this campus who could tell you at much greater depth than I can. But the Samaritans get the name Samaritan from Samaria, which is close. Our Samaritans are close to us. And Samaria is characterized by people who both in their nationality and their ethnicity is looked down upon by people from Israel. They're a mixed race and an apostate race. They worship wrongly. You can get more of this from reading about the woman at the well who's also a Samaritan. But the Samaritans are neighbors geographically they are actually estranged relatives of the Israelites, okay? And some of us live in families where there are some people who are estranged, hard to love, broken relationships. They're sojourners. And if you know the history of Samaria and Israel, Sometimes enemies on the field of battle. Certainly animosity. If you're raised in Israel, you're raised with at least suspicion and mostly with animosity towards Samaritans. And this translates into every culture and place in the world. So we all have Samaritans. One of the ways it manifested in the United, itself in the United States is race. But it's not only race. And in every part of the world, this teaching applies. So the question really is not who's my neighbor, but will I love my neighbor? 
You can read about this same passage in a number of places in Scripture. And if you look at the end of it in our passage, Jesus says, you go and do likewise. In other iterations of this, Jesus says, go and be perfect as I'm perfect. That perfection can also be translated, be merciful as I am merciful. And so as we consider the question, we really need to ask, what what is the Lord teaching? Well, let's review how he teaches us. First, we can ask him questions, but he's going to ask questions back. Second, he's going to ask us how we understand his word. He gives us his word. He wants us to understand it. And then if we're listening, remember we're told to listen to him? He's going to push us deeper and challenge our assumptions and our practices to bring them into conformity with his practices. Because he doesn't save us when when we're half dead. He saves us when we're Not when we're mostly dead. He saves us when we're all dead. We're completely dead. And in his mercy and his compassion, he gives us life. So he's already been down the road, and he's already put into practice in our lives. And now he says, you need to be actively loving your neighbor. You need to be actively loving. Saying you love your neighbor passively doesn't cut it. You need to be actively loving, purposing to love your neighbor, planning to love your neighbor when they're in need. Will I love my neighbor indeed? Now, I want to just conclude with a couple of observations. First of all, there are always reasons not to engage. There are always reasons not to engage. The Pharisee had reasons that he could have articulated. The Levite had reasons, there are always reasons not to engage, there are always reasons to pass by. There are always reasons to dismiss people and discount them for whatever those reasons are. And there are always reasons for people to do that to us. But there are no gospel reasons. There are no gospel reasons to bypass or discount or dismiss or not to help. The two great commandments work this way. If, if we love God, then we will love our neighbor. I want to encourage you to read it as a promise, not a test. Read it as a promise, not a test. This is the work that Christ, the teacher, does in us. If we love God, 
we will learn to love our neighbor. And that's how I want to end in encouraging you today. Notice that Jesus is not a God who's placed on a pedestal. Jesus is in class with us. He's engaged in experiential learning in ways we can understand. And he says the same thing over and over again. Hear and do. Hear and do. He is the great teacher. Let's listen to him together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you that your word is powerful and that you teach it to us. We ask that you would make us able to receive your word, to respond to it and to do it, that we might bring glory to you and honor you. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.